Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you decided to join us today. Americans' voters sent a clear message to President Donald Trump last month. You're fired. But the lasting impact of Trump's ascension to the White House is far from over. And one of the things that is going to be most interesting to watch in the coming months and years is what it will all mean for the long-term survival of conservatism in this country. Already, we are seeing a good bit of the internecine fighting among conservatives about the legacy of Donald Trump and what direction they want the party to head in the future. But there's another interesting phenomenon happening on the political right. Libertarians, who attest to value personal freedom and limited government above all else, also find themselves splintering over the legacy and the impact of Donald Trump. Some libertarians have excoriated Trump, who has consistently pushed authoritarian tendencies on full display. But for other libertarians, the movement's long-standing adjacency to Republican politics and their love of economic freedom have complicated their response to Donald Trump. That's where we want to begin the conversation today. Where do libertarians go as Donald Trump exit the White House? My next guest says there has been a wide rift among libertarians that has opened up as Donald Trump was president and now leaves office. Sheikha Dalmia is a columnist with The Week and a prominent voice in the libertarian political movement. Sheikha, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, a lot of our listeners know you uh, from the times you have joined us and your feelings about President Trump, well... Uh, they have not been shy over the last four years. Uh, but we should say at the top that you're not a fan of the president and his brand of politics. Uh, talk about your feelings now the election is over and Joe Biden, someone you also don't share a lot with politically, is going to be president next month. Uh, well, um, I am glad that President Trump has been shown the door uh, I was of the view that uh, uh, for libertarians, uh, whatever their quarrels with President-elect uh, Biden, um, there was no greater ta- uh, uh, issue at hand than defeating Trump when he was president. Uh, as I have said before, uh, you couldn't have crafted a more anti-libertarian candidate than Trump. Uh, if you had even tried. And so uh, for all my quarrels with Joe Biden, I think from a li- he poses a lesser threat to libertarianism than uh, Donald Trump did. So I'm, I'm glad that he's gone. And, or will be gone. And, and a lot of libertarians share that view with you. At the same time, as I said in the open, I've seen a lot, a lot of libertarian support for Donald Trump, uh, support that surprised me, and I think it's support that surprised you as well. Talk about what is going on in the libertarian movement right now as it pertains to the things that Trump did and the legacy he leaves behind and sort of where we go from here. Yeah, so, you know, I have to say um, I was a little... um, dismayed by the fact that 
you know, not all libertarians were on my side when it came to positioning themselves on Trump. I mean, I was, it's fair to say, one of the most vocal critics of Trump amongst libertarians. Um, and uh, I, it's not that libertarians necessarily disagreed with me, but they disagreed with my, you know, focus on, uh, and what I was, was, was often derided a sort of obsession with Trump uh, uh, for the four years that he was president. And I was always puzzled as to why more libertarians were not similarly obsessed with getting rid of Trump. Like I said, he posed uh, the biggest threat to libertarian ideals uh, than you know one could have possibly imagined ever coming on the horizon. Uh, you, you know, he uh, and among his biggest features was that he supported political violence. And if there is a single principle in libertarianism, it is sort of what is called a non-aggression principle, mm. uh, which is that uh, you cannot use uh, violence in settling political disputes. And yet here was this president who was constantly stoking not just uh, private violence. Uh, you know, you will recall all the rallies uh, where he was encouraging his supporters to bash up opponents and even offering to pay their medical bills. But then when he took over the reins of power, you know, he supported uh, state violence against prote protesters. If you, during the height of the George Floyd protest, he tweeted, when the looting begins, the shooting begins. Um, he cleared up a completely peaceful protest outside the White House uh, with tear gas to make room for a Bible photo op outside the church. I mean, these are all massive abrogations of the non-aggression principle, which suggests that you can only use violence in self-defense. And yet, uh, you know, libertarians were upset with Donald Trump. There's no doubt about that. But I would say they were no more upset with Donald Trump than they were with President Obama. And Obama didn't do, do half the things that Trump did. Hmm. And so that was sort of dismaying to me. And, you know, we'll see where the movement heads from here. But to give you just one example, uh, the Freedom Caucus in the House, uh, which built itself, itself as a libertarian caucus, right? Um, it had uh, six or seven members uh, at its peak. And the idea, and it was formed you know, just in the wake of the Tea Party uh, to curb what was seen as sort of the excessive big government agenda of uh, President Obama, right? It was meant, it was meant, it was formed just when Bush was leaving and Obama was taking over and the big financial meltdown happened. And the idea was to stop, you know, the, 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 the big scope, uh, expansive uh, scope of government that Obama, President Obama had in mind through Obamacare, financial rescue package, and what have you. Uh, out of all those Freedom Caucus members, only Justin Amash has been in, you know, in sort of my camp, what I would say my camp, which is steadfastly, steadfastly uh, resisting President Trump. Mark Meadows, went on to become the chief uh, chief of staff of Obama. You have Jim Jordan, who has become a complete lackey for President, I'm sorry, President Trump. Uh, you have uh, Tom Massey, who has played some kind of like a weird game. Uh, you know, half the time he's for President Trump and uh, 
very occasionally he'll criticize President Trump. So, you know, if you go down the list, the Freedom Caucus is a pretty good signifier of just how fractured libertarians are in the age of Trump, when they should have all joined in unison to oppose and resist President Trump. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to send the conversation in a slightly different direction uh, for a second. As somebody who sits on the other side of the political spectrum, on the left side of the political spectrum, watching all of this happen over the last four years, one of the things that has occurred to me is something that I think we on the left have been really concerned about for a long time about most of uh, the people who would identify themselves as as conservatives. It seems as though for libertarians as well as for other kinds of conservatives who should have opposed the president for his authoritarian instincts as well as some other things, that what was the – what sort of tipped the balance for them was his indulgence of economic rights and that this was somebody who was – all in on the idea of very limited government interference in business, uh, from the from every on everything from taxes to to, to regulation to, of course, environmental restrictions, uh, and that that was the thing that that they could all coalesce around. And increasingly, it seems that the right in this country is defined by the worship of those economic rights at the expense of just about everything else that, and, and as you point out, Donald Trump gave them every opportunity to, to, to seize on something else as a reason to oppose him. But in some way it seems that those economic rights rule the day that they win all the time and that, they will accept that people are willing now to accept all kinds of other um, conflicting kinds of behavior and thought as long as somebody who's president or or in another you know official capacity doesn't interfere with those economic rights. Am I right in in assessing that that way? Um, I have to take a little issue with your premise over here that President Trump was any friend of economic rights. I mean, he had an America first agenda. And uh, for the sake of that agenda, he was willing to interfere in market decisions, I would argue, even more than previous Democratic presidents, right? I mean, uh, I actually wrote a piece saying, is Trump a bigger socialist than Joe Biden? (laughs) And the reason was that, you know, from a consistently free market perspective, the government is not in the business of picking winners and losers in the marketplace. Uh, You know, you let the market decide. And if uh, uh, Americans can compete in the market, given a level playing field, then they can compete. If they lose out to other, for instance, China or Vietnam or India or Bangladesh, uh, then they have to do better. And that was not President Trump's America first agenda. He was uh, perfectly uh, all right about using state power, taxpayer money, to uh, push companies to, for instance, locate in areas where they would create so-called American jobs. Uh, He was, uh, you you know, he intervened in labor markets 
in such a massive way through his immigration policies. And this, I have to say, libertarians were, you know, opposed to this and uh, vehemently opposed to this, mm -hmm. his trade policies. He called himself the tariff man. Mm -hmm. That's no defense of economic rights. Right. Um, so maybe it's, so I, yeah, so maybe it's, maybe I'm overstating it then. Maybe it's not economic rights. Maybe it's just taxes. I mean, maybe it's just that this is somebody who'll cut my taxes. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay attention to these other things that he might say or do. I mean, is that, is that what is driving yeah. this? No, I, no, I think you're, you're, I mean, look, his, the, the problem with Trump was his rhetoric and his actions were often divorced, right? So he mm -hmm. spoke occasionally in the rhetoric of uh, markets and taxes, tax cuts and deregulations were a big part of his agenda. I would argue he has done neither. Uh, when it comes to tax cuts, he has increased the deficit spending and debt to such an extent that he's just basically kicked the can down the road to future generations who will face uh, the tax increases. And uh, deregulation, I mean, if you look at his what he accomplished, I mean, whatever he deregulated on one hand, he increased, uh, you know, he re-regulated when it came to tra trade and immigration. So his agenda, I mean, his, his record has been extremely mixed, but you are right, just his rhetoric, his, you know, embrace of this rhetoric of uh, free trade was enough to give many conservatives and some libertarians a fig leaf to keep sticking with him, even in the face of greater uh, rights abrogations on other dimensions, human rights abuses, civil rights abuses, uh, you know, the glorification of state power for all kinds of ends. Uh, I would agree that, uh, you know, that fig leaf that they had allowed them to ignore all of those things that uh, Trump was engaging in. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with Sheikha Dalmia, a columnist with The Week and a prominent voice in the libertarian political movement about the effect on that movement of Donald Trump's presidency over the last four years and the legacy he leaves behind. There were so many things about Donald Trump that libertarians, as lovers of freedom and economic freedom in particular, but also other kinds of freedom, personal freedom, should have found reason to take issue with Donald Trump over. And yet we saw over the last four years that many of them did not. Many of them were indeed supporters uh, of the president. Uh, what is your opinion of the libertarian political movement in 2020? Do you think it could hold promise as an alternative to Trumpian republicanism, which has abandoned so many conservative ideals for this more authoritarian brand of right-wing politics? Uh, what do you think of the relationship between libertarians and Progressives, a pretty rocky relationship, but there are absolutely issues on which they should be able to find common ground. Does Donald Trump's presidency and his presence make that much, much more difficult than it should be? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, uh, Shika, I, I also want to ask you about this you know, relationship between libertarians and progressives, uh, which should in many ways be much more robust than it is. There are, of course, uh, some pretty fundamental disagreements 
about policy and and uh, certainly about uh, the the power of government uh, to make change in people's lives. But civil rights in particular uh, and race uh, as an issue uh, and racism should be places that uh, we should see more common ground. And yet we don't. Uh, can you talk more about what the potential is there and whether Donald Trump complicates the potential for a better relationship between those two sides? Um, well, you know, what the relationship will be going forward, it's hard to predict, but you are right that uh, uh, there hasn't been the deeper alliance between libertarianism and progressives that one would like to see. And I have some, you know, thoughts about that. I mean, you know, if you look at the issue set of libertarians, it's a very good issue set, which combines the best instincts of the right and the left. So what do libertarians care about right now, right? They care about a commitment to civil liberties, criminal justice reform. They are in favor of lifestyle choices, gay, gay marriage, gay rights, immigration. They are against the war on drugs. Uh, that's all on the left. And then on the right, they are in favor of, as you mentioned, tax cuts and uh, protections for property rights and deregulation. So it's a pretty good eclectic issue set that combines the best of the right and the left. On the other hand, I do think the problem with libertarianism and the reason it has not uh, had a deeper friendship with progressives is that there is a majoritarian bias in libertarianism. And the reason is libertarianism grew as a movement in the heyday of socialism um, during the Cold War. And that was an issue of the right. Uh, it was, uh, you know, the conservatives in America who were fighting communism more vehemently than the progressives were, who were at that point willing to make peace with, uh, uh, you know, certain elements of a redistributive agenda. And this majoritarian by, and because conservatives were at that time fighting communism, and it was also a big issue for uh, libertarian thinkers, Barry Goldwater to begin with, uh, libertarianism kind of imported a majoritarian bias in the movement, which it is still struggling with. And, um, you know, you can draw, I think, a straight line between Barry Goldwater's opposition, for instance, to the Civil Rights Act, mm -hmm. not because he, he favored Jim Crow, he didn't, but because he, uh, you know, felt that this minor abrogation of the civil liberties of the majority population, which was the end to private discrimination, right? Uh, he thought that was a big abrogation of libertarian principles, ignoring the massive leap in freedom and liberty it uh, represented for blacks who were going to be freed from the yoke of Jim Crow. And you can draw a straight line between, you know, that Barry Goldwater and Tom Massey two weeks ago or last week, uh, voting against a marijuana legalization bill because it came attached with a 15% federal tax on marijuana sales. Right? I mean, the, you know, despite the fact that the drug war has disproportionately affected yes. minority populations, yes. stop and frisk, massive, massive civil rights abrogations, and every libertarian should be celebrating what a leap forward this would be for mm -hmm. civil liberties. Tom Massey voted against it, a libertarian voted against it because it's a 15% federal marijuana tax. Right. I mean, that, you know, to me is just very telling of why there isn't a deeper alliance with progressives because libertarian lawmakers 
have, you know, see sort of majority interest first and minority interest yeah. second. And minority interests are what progressives are rightly concerned about. And so, therefore, you don't see a deeper alliance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Craig in Southfield. Craig, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, I'm here. Yeah, go ahead, Craig. Okay, um... So I'm listening to your conversation, and uh, very interesting. By the way, thank you for answering my call. Sure. Um, so I, I have friends who are Trump supporters, and, you know, we we agree to disagree. Um, but one of the things that I found out was that they'll embrace what we call some of his more demeaning characteristics to hang on to that one thing that they embrace wholeheartedly, be it immigration, uh, 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 um, abortion, they can overlook everything else, you know, his narcissism, his uh, dem- uh, demeaning of women, that, that that's okay, because that one issue whatever that, that is, yeah. my heart uh-huh. is, is what I'm going to hold on to, yeah. and I can overlook everything else, and I, I, I personally, I can't understand it, because, you know, I asked my one friend, I says, you have daughters, you, you, you're married, how can you you know, accept his treatment of women, and he says, "Well, he's he's against abortion, and he speaks his mind." Yeah. Well, well come on. I mean, Craig, really? Is this this is what we've degraded to as a society? Right, Craig. I I, I love I love this point, and I love that you called uh, to make it, Ashika. We only have a couple of minutes before I've got a break, but I, I want to get you to respond to that and, and respond to it in the context of whether. Part of the problem is a kind of reductionist uh, dynamic that has taken over modern politics, that, that, that there are a lot of people who are thinking uh, specifically about one issue. Uh, we also have a, a Twitter comment that talks about people thinking about issues that are just about them, right? This kind of self-centered uh, approach to, to, to politics and, and to policy that that also then helps explain why somebody who calls themselves a libertarian uh, could support somebody like Donald Trump, for instance, and and kind of wipe away all of the other all of the other things that uh, that that he stands for. Yeah, you know, so one of the Donald Trump geniuses was that uh, even as the right has always opposed the identity politics of the left, right. He was a master of uh, majoritarian identity politics. He cobbled together a coalition by promising very specific things to very specific conservative interests. So he promised deregulation and tax cuts to libertarians. He promised abortion, uh, uh, you know, bans or uh, pushbacks to evangelical voters, and he, uh, you know, and 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 likewise down the line. And so he picked the most important signature issue that particular conservative and libertarian groups cared about and made them focus on those. And to the exclusion of broader common good concerns, broader institutional concerns, broader character concerns that your uh, caller mentioned. And, you know, and just because he was giving them that one thing, they were willing to ignore everything else because that's the one issue they cared about the most. So that was sort of his kind of like his political formula. And it worked to, you know, a very great extent. I mean, 70 million plus 
Americans still voted for him. I mean, his loss is uh, not unimpressive, but I'm always surprised it wasn't even more impressive than right. it was. And that's because he hit upon this political formula of majoritarian identity politics. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. I'm going to keep Sheikha Dalamia for just a, a little more because I think this is a really interesting conversation. We've got some other comments I want to work into the conversation. Uh, if you want to join, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined my guest, Ashika Dalmia, columnist with The Week and a prominent voice in the libertarian political movement. We're talking about the libertarian movement after Donald Trump, uh, what it will look like, what effect this president has had on people who subscribe to that ideology. Uh, as always, we want to hear uh, from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, let's go to John in Warren. John, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks. Good morning. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to take uh, offense to you guys, you calling libertarians conservative when we really have positions that are far left. And yes, fiscally, we are pretty much far right, but we have so many social positions that are far left. And no, I would not call us moderates. We are, we, we tend to occupy the, the sides of the spectrum where you guys, you know, discuss things. But calling libertarians conservative is absolutely wrong. What what what, what what would you say is, is a better definition? Oh, okay. Yeah, I might I might go along with that, but it, it, it certainly I wouldn't call libertarians progressive in the way that we identify that term in 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 our politics. Would you, John? No, because okay. that's really socialist. Well, no, honest. it's not socialist. <laughs> uh, obviously, <laughs> come on, uh, socialism is something really different than progressive American liberalism. There's, uh, there's almost no, no comparison there. And, and no, yes, no, there, there, that's, a, that's a, a lie. Basically, well, by your, by oh, your part. That, oh, come on. That's, that's a, that's a disingenuous way to say it because really what the progressives push is to do things through government, which is really what socialism does. But not everything through government. I mean, certain things, I mean, uh, what I could say is that, uh, for instance, there's no developed democracy on the planet that doesn't have socialized education and health care, which would then make us the outlier. In other words, uh, the, the, there isn't this idea, you know, the, the, what you're talking about are, is complete control uh, of economies and things like that that you don't see in developed nations and, and Western nations, you see in, in author, authoritarian nations. There's a real distinction between that and the kind of things that progressives in this country want to do. And that those things are far more common among our allies and, and uh, countries we have uh, much more in common with. So, I mean, the, the socialism uh, meme and moniker is really, is really uh, misplaced. And it's a, it's a, it's a really uh, awful bastardization of the definition 
uh, of that word. But but uh, but I hear you, John, about the idea that you saying that you don't feel like libertarians are conservatives. That's an interesting, it's an interesting point to raise. Sheikha, I wonder what your your reaction is to that. No, I actually, I mean, on that point, I I have to agree with the caller that uh, libertarians are not conservatives, and they do take great exception to that characterization, um, and uh, and rightly so. Uh, on the other hand, I would say that there is a conservative bias in libertarianism as it is practiced today, not in principle. In principle, libertarians genuinely are neither of the right nor of the left. They are something else. And so, uh, you know, the the theoretical libertarianism that, uh, you know, your caller probably has in mind is not conservative. On the other hand, I also think he is, you know, wrong in calling progressive socialists. I mean, socialists, as you point out, is the use of use of state power to control the economy completely. Exactly. It's, you know, setting production quotas. It is the state ownership of the means of production and what have you. And no progressive is really pushing that. In fact, progressives are very often also advocating getting rid of the state when it is hurting minorities. Right. Um, you know, the uh, uh, getting rid of the alliance between uh, uh, Southern whites and the police power of the state to release blacks from Jim Crow was a progressive agenda. It meant reducing state power. So there are many aspects of the progressive agenda which are against state power because it's hurting minorities. And that's very, very much in sync with what libertarianism stands for and ought to stand for. Yeah. Okay, Sheikha Dalmia, I could, uh, of course, have this conversation with you all day, but uh, we are out of time. Uh, I really appreciate you coming by for it. I love that uh, we can have these uh, discussions and disagreements and, and kind of learn a little more about, uh, about each other's, each other's uh, approach to these things. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks. It's always a pleasure, Stephen. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at President-elect Joe Biden's plans for health care and the pandemic. Amy Goldstein, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter for The Washington Post, will join us. She has been covering health care policy for a long time. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.